<laughs> yes, we just showed that clip in church. <laughs> and I know some of you are repulsed. But here's why. is because I know, and maybe you will realize, that we all, even if we don't pray to the eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, we all have a tendency to make God too small. We all have in our minds where we put God into a box. And we feel more comfortable with a God that we think that we can control and manage and make sense to us. But the reality is he's much bigger than you realize. And so what we want to do this morning and for these next several weeks is is get a bigger glimpse a greater perspective, a more real view at who this Jesus is. This week, I was meeting with some people, and we were brainstorming uh, a vision, like a big idea, and we were getting together, and we were talking about it. And some of the people in the circle didn't know who the other people were, so we did introductions, like you do. And as we're going around, I say, you know, I'm, I'm Caleb, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at Mariners in Huntington Beach, and I, I do this, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I, maybe I bring this to the table. Here's what I hope to do. And then so the next person goes, and uh, he's really smart. He does this thing. And the next lady goes, and she's been a vice president of a big healthcare company. And, and, and then the next person says something. And, you know, it's like no, no, no one's being, like, braggadocious. No one's trying to impress somebody else. They're just saying, you know, here's why I'm here, and here's what I think I could bring. And then we get to this one gentleman. And this one gentleman says very quietly and humbly, I used to lead a, a healthcare company, and, uh, and then moves on. And so the other healthcare lady over here says, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but which healthcare company are you talking about? And he says the healthcare company that you would all have heard of. And she goes, oh. And then because he's so humble, I chime in and I say, um, he actually founded that company. And everyone's like, dang. <laughs> what did I say about myself? Because whatever I said was stupid, uh, given that this guy is here. And, and it was just one of those moments where nice, gentle, humble guy, and then you learn something else about him, and you're like, oh, um, dang, um, okay. And your perspective is broadened. And, and the, the, the dynamic in that circle changed. And now you just appreciate how humble this guy is because of what he's done and accomplished. And it's, and it's amazing. And that's a little bit of a glimpse of what I hope we get in these next few weeks. That Jesus is bigger than you've realized. That God is more powerful than you've realized. And perhaps in some ways, unintentionally, you've kept him small. And you've kept him manageable. And you pray things and you... And then when they don't work out the way you want them to or they don't play out as you thought that they should, it, 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 it frustrates you or it breaks your heart because this is the God that I think that I know and understand. And how come, how come the, this, this little nativity scene God isn't, isn't as sweet or isn't doing it this way? And, and so we can get confused and we can get discouraged. There's a story from the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Did you know that that wasn't just bad movies? Like there was a book series, you know that? Yeah, they're, they're really good books written by C.S. Lewis. And one of the books is called uh, Prince Caspian. And in it, Lucy encounters Aslan. And I'm going to read this little glimpse of the story because I think it, it illuminates for us a little bit. She says, Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, 
The great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward just to touch her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her and she gazed up in his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. My hope is that for you in this new year, in this season, in this Christmas season, that you find God bigger. That he gets bigger for you. That that your eyes are open to his bigness. The past disappointments and discouragements, fears, concerns, issues that you've had, disappointments that you've had even with God, that they would feel small and that God would feel bigger again and that you would see him for more of who he is and who he wants to be in your life. I hope that my Christmas gift to myself, to you, is that we can together in these times, in these Sundays, illuminate a little bit more of this, of this big, incredible God that created us, that came to this earth that redeemed us. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And so as we, as we look at this Christmas season, I wanted to take us, we're going to be kind of scattering around the Old Testament. You're going to have to stick with me. We're going to hit a few different places, but in the end, in about 15 minutes, it's all going to come together and make sense in this, you know, beautiful little way. And you'd be like, oh, this is awesome. I see what happened here. Or at least you're just going to do that with your faces and pretend that you're with me, and it'll be this, this moment that we have. But we're going to start with the, with the prophecy of Jesus coming. So the prophecy that, that would be, become what we know as Christmas, and it's from Isaiah 7:14. It says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, not just, not just a prophet, not just a lightning bolt or a cloud. The Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son. And will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. So the virgin will give birth, which is already, um, you know, paradoxical, <laughs> right? That she is pregnant. And she will have a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. So he will be God's son in human form, coming through Mary. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. But what I want to show you through a few other Old Testament verses is that Christmas didn't begin the time when God cared about being with us. That that's always been the case. That he has had in mind from the very beginning and to the, to, for forever to be with and among his people. Christmas isn't the beginning of that. It's the larger story. So look with me at uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden. This is the Garden of Eden that God created. So God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates this kind of cosmic dwelling place where he can hang out with us. And the Garden of Eden was that place. And he walked with his people in the cool of the day. Now, I don't really know what that means. Does God, because he's God, make the day cool? Is he like the definition of cool? I don't know what God walking looks like. I've heard of moon walking. God walking must have been pretty special. You think of supernatural swagger? I don't know, but, but God walking would have been a sight to behold. 
as I was thinking about that, my mind goes to, because maybe I'm, you know, getting a little bit older, uh, the Fonz. And I think of coolness, I think of the Fonz. You might think of Ryan Gosling, those younger of people. But imagine God walking and what that must have been like to, to even be a part of. Adam and Eve are there in the garden with God, and he's, he's hanging out. He's doing what God does with them. He has designed, he designed this earth and this world because his original intent was to be with and to be among his people. Years later, because of our rebellion, sin, and, sin enters the world, and we said, you know what, God, we're good. We, we, maybe you don't have our best interest in mind. We're going to do what we want to do. Sin and rebellion entered the story, and so his relationship to us changed. The dynamic changed. He couldn't just interact the way that he did. And because of rebellion, the, the people of God, the Israelites, are enslaved. They're enslaved in Egypt. And so we have this in Exodus 6.6. 6. He's, he's saying, okay, I, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm going to rescue you. And it says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll bring you out from slavery. I will rescue you from this situation that you're in because I want to be with you. I'm your God, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you. If, you're, if you have your outline and you're playing along, circle that word redeem. We're going to come back to that. That's a key word. I will redeem you. I, I want to be with you. And I will even redeem you. And the word literally means to set you free from this, this oppression. So, so they are thinking, okay, so we are no longer going to be slaves in Egypt. We are going to be set free. God is going to be with us again. He's going to be our God. And he's going to redeem or set us free. And so God sends Moses, and Moses does his thing that he does, right, and leads, let my people go, and they, and they leave, and they got the Red Sea thing, and they're over there, and they're marching through the desert, and all that's happening, and his people have been set free and redeemed from slavery in Egypt. And he says, because I am your God, and I want to be with you and among you, here's how we're going to do this, because you're kind of rebellious and stubborn, and you like to do your own thing and forget about me and ignore what I say. So it's not going to be like the garden in the cool of the day, walking, God walking, whatever that looks like. We're going to do it a little bit differently, and here's how it's going to look. Exodus 25, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell in it with them. Make this tabernacle with all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So he says, we're going to create this tabernacle which, by the way, as I was talking with Hillary about that, she goes, oh, do you know our friend, uh, she hates that word. I'm like, how do you hate that? a Bible word? Like, that's, that's dangerous, isn't it? I mean, to hate a, she goes, no, 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 she's just so uncomfortable with that word. It's like a word, it's like, it's like one of those, so I looked up words that people hate, and you know what the number one word people hate is? Moist, you know that, moist. And then, the, and then one of the other ones is scabs, and then you put them, moist scabs, is my, like the, that's like the, the doozy that no one, I was like, really, tabernacle? Who so a tabernacle is just like, a, it's just a tent. It was a mobile sanctuary that everywhere that they traveled in the desert, they would like set up shop and they would put together this tent and that would represent God's presence. Not that he wasn't everywhere, he's God, he's everywhere. And yet this was like the manifestation of his presence. Sometimes a cloud would come and hover and, his, and the Bible would say his the tabernacle was filled with his presence, and it would be this kind of special thing. And so he wanted them to have this visual reminder that God was with them. And then the story goes on, and they finally get into the promised land, and they're the people of God, and Jerusalem is their city. And God tells 
David and then his son Solomon, I want you to create a temple. This will be a more permanent dwelling for me. The famous Ark of the Covenant for you Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones. Lots of movie and book references, sorry. But that, that thing, that was like, that would go around with them, and then they put that in the temple. And it was this beautiful, elaborate, incredible thing. And, and the temple was to represent God's presence, that he was with his people. Because that has always been his desire and his design, that he would create people to be with, to be among, that could know him, that we would be together with God. Now, here's where, here's where we get screwed up, because religion, as you think about religion, religion is always about us making our way to God. How can we do more or not do bad things, behave better, you know, jump through hoops so that we can work our way closer to God. The reality is that God has always been moving toward us. Since he created us, it's, his, it's been his desire and his design to be with us. So genera- generations later, people have been perpetually disobedient to the point where God in a sense, like withdraws his presence and he's silent for a long period of time. And then we have the time that we celebrate at Christmas. We have the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And we've been talking about it in Luke chapter one, how how God does this crazy thing that Zachariah and Elizabeth, even though they're really old, they get pregnant and John the Baptist is born to them, and he's going to be like the, the, the trailblazer, the trumpet blower, the hype man for Jesus. And so that's what we've been looking at in Luke chapter 1. So this, this little piece is from the very end of Luke chapter 1 before we get into Luke 2, which is all about the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 68 to 70, after Zechariah's voice has been restored, because if you have been following along, he was made mute because he doubted the angel when he said, hey, even though you're like 80, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, um, probably not. And he's like, okay, shut your mouth. And you won't be able to talk for nine months. <laughs> and so now like his voice is restored and he sings a song and this is what he sings. Praise be to the God, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people. He has come to his people and redeemed them. He's talking, he's talking like it's past tense even though it hasn't happened yet. There's this, there's this interesting thing that happens in this language where they believe that it's already happened even though it's still to come, right? So he, even though, because he's come to his people and redeemed them, he has raised up a horn, which just means it's like a horn is a symbol of strength, of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Now here's where things get interesting. Because of their, because of their past, because of their background, good little Jewish boys and girls and families, they would sit around and they would see those words and they would think, he's going to redeem us. Just like he did back in Egypt. And right now, in this time, in this, in this space, they were, the Jews were under the oppression of, the Rome, of Rome. And so they were like, we're, we're slaves in Rome, we want freedom, we want to be out from under this. God, they've been praying, God, set us free, redeem us. And God's been quiet for a while, and they don't know why. And he's like, redeem us, set us free, like elevate us above the Romans. This is not fair, we're paying ridiculous taxes, and we're working long hours, and this is, this is just not right. We should be elevated, we're your people. And so they think, okay, so he's going to redeem us. 
And so it's going to look like it did back there. Pharaoh, let my people go, and we're going to flip this thing upside down. The Red Sea, I mean, I don't, there's a, the water isn't that close, but maybe he'll still do that same thing. That was a cool trick. So when this Jesus comes, this is going to be crazy. He's going to overthrow the Roman government, and we're going to be, we're going to be living high and flying high and doing our thing. This is, this is going to be fantastic. But that's not what Jesus did. I, I mean, if you, if you kind of read ahead, he, he came as a little baby in a manger, in a barn, to humble people that weren't special, that weren't of particular significance. And he lived a normal life in obscurity for 30 years, the son of a carpenter. And then he did miracles and he healed people and he talked about the kingdom of God and so everyone was like, okay, it's game time. Now this is happening. Like, this dude does miracles. He seems to be tight with God. He's got like the whole Old Testament memorized. <laughs> That's crazy. So uh, this is probably our guy. And this is when he's going to go and overthrow Rome and we are going to be in power. And instead he suffers and he's beaten and he's hung on a cross and he dies. People are like, what? What happened to the whole redeem thing? What happened to the whole like set us free thing? God, you were supposed to do this radical, life-changing, life-altering, culture-flipping thing, and it was supposed to be like now, like what happened? The guy's dead. So Jesus raises from the dead, and he's walking early the next morning, and he comes along some, some of his followers. They didn't recognize him, and this is an interesting little dialogue. This is what happens in Luke 24. They're talking about, all the things that had gone on, and Jesus is asking him questions. So, like, uh, anything interesting happening? Like, they, I mean, they didn't have Google or Huffington Post, and so he's like, hey, what's, what's going on in culture, guys? And they're like, what, dude? Where have you been? Like, under a rock? He's like, yes! Turns out I destroyed it! And I... <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> but then he's like, you know, tell me, is there anything interesting going on there? Like, dude, really? Like, where have you been? What are you? What are you? What are you doing? And he goes, Have you heard about? Have you heard about Jesus? And he's like, Tell me more about that. And, he, and they say, uh, You know, Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, Jewish rulers, and the and the Roman officials and and everybody, they they uh, they sentenced him to death. They crucified him on a cross. Brutal, brutal death. He was a good man. He was, he was this heroic guy. And verse 21, here's the key. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel, which suggests that he hadn't, which also suggests that they missed it, that they didn't get it. They had been looking for a Jesus that fit this category, that fit in this box, that was what their minds had made up God should be like and what he should do and what it meant to redeem. And they missed it because he didn't come and overthrow the physical realities of Roman oppression. He just instead went and died and conquered death and sin forever and all time to reconnect us with our God. And they were disconnected from it. They didn't understand what was happening because of what they assumed this Redeemer, Emmanuel God was supposed to do. Now, I know that most of us, maybe all of us, 
Even though we don't do it intentionally, we have some idea of who we think God is supposed to be and what he's supposed to do for us. And when he hasn't, when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we've begged him, show up, change this circumstance, do this thing, heal this, don't let this happen. And he doesn't show up like we expect. And he doesn't do what we kept praying for. And he lets the bad thing happen or he doesn't change this sickness or disease. Then our whole lives are flipped upside down and we think, what kind of God is this? You are supposed to do it this way. This is the way that I see it. This is the way that makes sense to me. How come you didn't do that? And we can miss him. We can miss what he's actually intending to do in his bigger story. That maybe it's not just about the physical thing that we see right now. Maybe it's not about the oppressive Roman government that's really, really inconvenient. Maybe he's actually doing something much, much bigger. And then the oppressive thing, the physical thing, that's going to work itself out one day. There's a young woman in our church who I met with this past week. And she was, she was telling me about how she's been physically sick for a long time. She, she has some kind of illness that she operates at about 60% capacity. She feels sick all the time. And she doesn't have energy. She doesn't feel like she can do the things that she used to do. She can't do physical exercise and surf like she wants to and all of that. And so she came and we prayed for her. And we were going to pray for a miracle that God would heal her body. And we did pray for that. But after we prayed, she said this. She said, you know what, I've been feeling this way for over a year now, and it's just been in the last month or so that I'm not mad anymore. Because God has showed me that this illness has brought me closer to him. Now, I still hope that he heals me, she said, but I trust him if he doesn't. You know that I have been asked to do three funerals in these next two weeks. This has been a sobering week for me. Three funerals in the next two weeks, all of them for people under 30. What do you do with that? What do you say in those situations? That's, there's nothing good about that. That's so painful. That's people losing their kids. That doesn't make sense. What can, what can you try to make sense that, that my God, that's the nativity, cute God, like why would he allow this to happen? I don't know. I don't know why. But here's what I do know. That Jesus came from somewhere else. And he went to somewhere else. And he said that this little brief earth is not the end of the story. That there is much more. There's a bigger story that he is telling. And in fact, while he was here, he was really humble. He suffered greatly. He was completely unpredictable in what he did. He came, he came as a child of a, of a carpenter. He dealt with suffering by suffering. He dealt with death by dying. And he said that the story is bigger than what you see here in the physical with your eyes. And so 
regardless of the pain and the circumstances that we just can't figure out and we just can't explain away, we have hope that the story is much, much bigger, that the God is bigger that we serve. And even though there are disappointments, there, are, there is pain, we can get God out of this little box that's the genie in the bottle, it's the cute thing, because that's not enough. He has to be bigger. He has to be greater. And he has to be good. There's, a, uh, there's another little quote from C.S. Lewis that I want to share with you. It's from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And this is Susan. You don't have to just get over the fact that it's a beaver that she's talking to. Um, it's a beaver. I don't know. I mean, I, Susan's talking to Mr. Beaver. And he is explaining to her who Aslan is. He says, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. He's an archetype for Jesus in all C.S. Lewis's writings. Oh, says Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, Mr. Beaver says. Whoever said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus is not necessarily safe, and he doesn't exactly come in the packages and the things and the ways that we expect, but he is good. He is trustworthy. He is big, even though he's also unpredictable. God, what I want you to hear this morning is that God is with you. It's been his desire, his design for all of time to be with his people, but he is also unpredictable. He will surprise you. He will surprise you. Uh, Hillary and I, when I was sharing a little bit about this message, it reminded me that um, we had, gone, when we went to Thanksgiving in Scottsdale, Arizona, we were there, and, and we were debriefing the whole experience, and I said to Hill, I said, uh, you know, that was like the most dysfunctional Thanksgiving family time I have ever experienced in my life. <laughs> and she goes, what? That was the best time we've ever had with your family. <laughs> and I looked at her like, you've got to be kidding me. What, like, what do you, you thought that was, that was the best time that we've ever had? Did you not notice that I had a family member that came completely stoned to Thanksgiving dinner? <laughs> was that on your radar? And that because we had to like help him out of our Thanksgiving dinner and to get some help, that then other family members were really angry and like shut down and didn't talk for the rest of the time? I mean, was, did you notice that that was like Thanksgiving at my house? I've never experienced that kind of a thing before. And she goes, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> she said, did you notice how after Thanksgiving dinner, we sat around the living room with the family and we had the most honest conversation and authentic dialogue that we've ever had with your extended family. And we talked about how we could help this kid. And we talked about how we loved him anyway. And we talked about the, the realities of dysfunction. And we talked about the, the, the beautiful things that God does despite the pain and the, all those kind of circumstances. It was the best time we've ever had with your family. Did you see what God was doing 
in your family. I was like, well, now you put it that way. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> but we have this tendency, I have this tendency, that I have what I think it's supposed to look like and what God's supposed to do and what family times are supposed to be and how this stuff is supposed to play out in my mind. And when, when it doesn't, my little world is threatened. And she says, you almost missed that God was working, that that was maybe the healthiest family dynamic that you know, your extended family has experienced. Did you see what he's doing? So friends, my encouragement to you is don't miss what God's doing. You might be praying for this thing, and, and it might be a great thing that you're praying for, and he might end up doing it. But if he doesn't, trust that he's good and that he's big and that the story is bigger and that you don't know what's on the other side and that this life here, even in the midst of physical death, this life here is brief. The story is much bigger that he's telling, that we are a part of, that we are involved in. And that you have a God who is with you. He's with you all the time. Even when Jesus went back into heaven, he didn't just leave it at that. Look at what John 14 says. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and he will be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. We call him the, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, whatever. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A God who his desire and his design for all of time has been to be with his people. And what we celebrate as Christmas is that Jesus came, God, with skin on to be with us. And he gives us a spirit even now that's always with us. He is with us, but he will surprise you. So don't miss it because your image of God is too small. Look for it. Be open to it. And for some of you who I know are going through intense pain now in this season, I want to pray for you specifically. For those of you who are having difficulty connecting with this God, identifying with this God, relating, loving, engaging in this holiday spirit, whatever that is, because you just don't feel like it, you're in pain. I want to pray for you. If you need a fresh vision of how big God is, if you need his comfort and his love because of the circumstances, would you just wave your hand at me? Because we're going to pray. And we want to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to pray for you and I want to pray for all of us that God would expand our vision of who he is and of his larger story and that he would give us comfort with his presence. <laughs> Jesus, I pray for, you, for us, for your people, for your children, that in the midst of crazy holiday chaos and everything going on, I pray, God, that you would give us the sense of your peace and your presence. That we would know hope because of you. That you are bigger than the circumstances as painful as they may be. That you would just help, to, help us to shed our restricting views of you and to trust you that you are good, that you are big. know the story beyond the story 
that you have in mind to work all things together for good. There is life after this life. And that you love us. I pray for my friends who are particularly hurting today. Let them know that they are loved. Let them know that there is hope. Let them know that you are with them in the midst of it. Because you are unpredictable, but you are good. And we are grateful. In Jesus' name.